Foundation Mortgage is an equal housing opportunity. NMLS 1387311. License number 125388. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of the Foundation Mortgage Podcast. We hope this adds value to your home buying process. If you like this episode, make sure you share it with your friends and your family, and most importantly, social media. Thanks so much. We look forward to the opportunity to doing business with you in the future. Now let's get to today's episode. Hey, real quick, before we get into today's episode, do us a favor. Make sure you check out our website at fmloans.com. Right on the home screen, whether you're purchasing or refinancing, hit the Get Started button. It'll take you step-by-step on what to do to work with Foundation Mortgage. And if you have a question, make sure you call 865-392-5450. Thanks, and let's get to today's episode. Okay, well, welcome to uh, another episode of the Foundation Mortgage Podcast. Uh, Really excited about uh, our guest today, uh, Hanson Sale. Uh, he is the government affairs and policy leader at CAR in Knoxville, and um, really excited to have Hanson on the uh, podcast this morning. Um, Hanson, you and I have known each other for a little while, and I, and I have to say, I'd, I've had you know uh, high level economic and uh, uh, housing conversations with a lot of people, and I always feel like our conversations and your input and your insight on the market are some of the best I've ever heard. So uh, just really excited to have you here today. Oh, much appreciated and glad to be here. Absolutely. So, um, well, let's, uh, you know, let's start off. Just tell us a little bit about your, uh, your background and, uh, uh, and then we'll dive into some, some you know, kind of pointed questions about our market here and go from there. Yeah, well, I am, uh, my background, I'm like considered a policy wonk is where I came from. I, I uh, graduated in economics. I, I worked at the Baker Center for Public Policy. So my background is very economics applied to public decision making. Um, so that's where I came from. I did a little work um, as a research assistant for the White House um American Workforce Policy Advisory Board, so did workforce development policy with an economist at UT who was appointed to that board and um, is a mentor to me, and I I credit all of my mentors for making me (laughs) know anything about economics. Absolutely. Well, it it definitely shows uh, because uh, the depth of knowledge that you'll go into when we discuss certain things is is far beyond what a typical conversation about housing economics policy uh so it shows that you're really an expert uh in this area well i appreciate it it's a it's a nuanced conversation and you can't have a a substantive conversation if you don't sort of get into the weeds yep absolutely uh so let's uh let's talk about the knoxville housing market now one of the biggest topics or just something that we hear all the time okay is what's going to happen to prices what's going to happen to values in this area right um you hear a lot of people saying hey you know the the next housing crash is right around the corner um what are your thoughts on that locally yeah i hear it all the time and i I think uh locally it's it's a different conversation too but even broadly speaking i think we're still in this 
2008 hangover where everybody just expects the same thing to happen. Um, and that's reasonable to some extent, but I would argue there's a lot of reasons why we're in a totally different um, market than we were then. Um, you know, there's a lot of underlying fundamentals that are just fundamentally different than they were. Um, I think we're, we're headed for a, a, you know, a slowdown in home price growth, but I, I just don't see any scenario where we see sustained home price declines, particularly in Knoxville, uh, you know, where our occupancy rates are exceedingly high, where, you know, we're an up and coming city that, that, you know, we're not on the decline, we're on the front end of our growth curve. And I think that bodes well for Knoxville, even if we see sort of some like small price correction at the national level, Knoxville's in a different place, and, and that's been borne out for a number of years when looking at past recessions. We just, we've never been hit the same way that the U.S. overall has. Knoxville always seems to be in a bit of a bubble. Yeah, well, it is in a bubble. I mean, and it's in a good bubble in good many bubble. ways, and, and there, there's just, we, we don't, you know, have that boom bust cycle that the U.S. does for a number of reasons, but, um, you know, it, it's, it bodes well for homeowners in Knoxville, and it bodes well for our housing market to, you know, continue to grow, but although I think we are, you know, nearing a phase of moderation, if you will, which is, you know, I, and I want to be clear, I, I think that moderation is a good thing um, in the long run, maybe not in the, you know, next couple of months, but it's a good thing in the long run. Absolutely, I would agree, and uh, you know, when you talk about prices and you talk about, you know, the fundamental laws of economics, which is, which is a lot of supply and demand, right? Um, so let's talk about that uh, element in our local market here. Uh, we know the demand is there. The demand is huge. Okay. So let's talk about supply uh, and what's uh, some of the things that you've been working on, some of the initiatives that you'd like to see to increase supply. And uh, you know, how can we come together as a community to, to help solve this problem? Yeah, well, I mean, as a community, the fundamental problem with housing is, is supply-related. Um, you know, I think on the demand side of things, you, you see a lot of different demographic change. The number one change that, you know, I think is, is indicative of the fact that we're going to have demand in the long run is that we're seeing this huge increase in sole person households. So people are not living together in the same numbers that they were previously. That has a fundamental impact on demand for housing and the types of housing that we have. Um, when did that change start to, when did that, you don't, when did you notice that trend? Well, that's been going on for the better part of 30 years. I mean, we've seen the, the, you know, household number of people per household has been declining for a long time. Um, just in the last decade or so is when, you know, nationally we've started seeing these trends of, of people living on their own, uh, which, which just has a big impact on, you know, housing the same number of people. You need more houses if, if they're going to live on their own. Um, and so that's had a, a huge impact on this market. So, you know, demand-wise, like you said, I, I think we see it. We know it's there as as rates have mortgage rates have gone up. I think Knoxville's even more attractive, um, in part because we're still relatively affordable. Um, that's not going to be the case forever, and that's kind of what we're getting onto. But fundamentally, supply is probably the most important part of this conversation, right? And, and it's part of why I don't see prices in the long run falling because. The way that our system's set up right now, there's so many, I mean, from, you know, building new housing, new construction, 
there's so many obstacles from a, a labor perspective, from a materials perspective, from a capacity perspective. And then land use, you know, there's a lot of obstacles to actually getting these projects approved. And so, relatively speaking, the housing supply is fixed. And the way that our system is is working right now is that it, it keeps the, the number of new housing units arbitrarily low uh, because of the way that it's set up. So let's dive into that. Uh, the, the way it's set up, this arbitrary limitation on supply, what are the real choke points in our local system here? Yeah, well, I mean, a lot of it is onerous, you know, processes and, and regulations. So, you know, Knox County right now is working on it. I'm on the advisory committee um, for the new general plan. So it's a comprehensive land use uh, plan, and I, I'm helping sort of shape what that looks like. And so that's the underlying legal basis of build of every rezoning, every development decision that we make. Um, and, you know, we have to amend it from time to time. And, you know, setting forth what the criteria of being able to amend it um, is, a, is a huge piece. Previously, we've never, um, you know, had one of the legal considerations be when we're considering a rezoning that needs a, a plan amendment like that. We've never had this, um, you know, a justification that we don't have enough housing and that that can be a consideration. Um, and I would like to see that in our new plan, that when we're making rezoning decisions and, you know, we need the legal justification to make it happen, the adequate supply of housing should be a consideration. Um, so that's one piece of it. So the um, the justification to show or to, to, you know, when you're communicating these things, um, what what do you look at to justify that we have a shortage in housing? Yeah, well, I mean, I think broadly speaking, you just look at the numbers, the, the rapid price appreciation, you look at occupancy rates, which the rental occupancy rate is hovering around 99%. Is that um, an all-time record for this area? That is an all, last quarter was an all-time record. It, it was like half point one percentage point uh, difference this first quarter, so near an all-time high. Wow. Um, yeah, I mean, it's nuts, and it's, it's the same way in, in the owner-occupied side of the market. So, um, you know, those are, are, you know, some key, you know, high-level indicators of, hey, we don't have enough housing and we need to build more. Um, but then when you're actually taking a project into consideration, um, you know, something that's, that's prudent is to build from corridors, so places where infrastructure already exists, and let's, let's start there and let's build out. Um, and so, you know, you're looking at what the connectivity to, to public transit or to, you know, public infrastructure is. Is there, you know, some decently dense level of housing in the surrounding area? Um, you know, have there been dramatic changes in development patterns that sort of justify uh, bringing in some level of, of housing. You know, right now we're in this place where we're we're just building almost exclusively single-family homes. And single-family homes are great, but we also, as a recent report that came out, the State of the County report, we're getting older. Um, our, our elderly population um, is growing really quickly. Our elderly population with disabilities is growing really quickly. And right now, you know, the vast majority of our housing stock is single-family homes with a yard and oftentimes multi-levels that, you know, this whole demographic of people, you know, isn't really looking for. And, you know, 
as it stands, we're not, we don't have anything that, that is readily accessible and affordable to them that fits their needs. So that's just one piece of why this is a problem. And on the other end of that, trying to keep and, and retain talent in Knoxville and college grads, you know, we have seen in, in the research that college grads today want to live and work in the same community. They don't want to commute across county lines. But the problem is we don't have the adequate sort of choice of housing. So, you know, uh, an apartment or multifamily or single family, we don't have what they're looking for. And we definitely don't have it in the locations that they're looking for. And so we're losing college graduates. Um, so would you be an advocate for um, uh, kind of multi-use type properties and um, and, and more densely um, uh, you know populated housing like like condos and and that sort of thing or would I, you know it, let me put it to you like this if you were in charge okay let's just say you were in charge how would you like to see Knoxville be developed what yeah. are we missing well I, I mean we are missing multifamily that's the number one it, it's an impediment to growth in this area I mean we're getting knocked out of the water by some of our um, mid-sized city counterparts when it comes to multifamily um, you know I think multi-use is a huge opportunity I mean we talk about traffic all the time um, you know I, I like to use this analogy of a buffet there's a reason that we put everything in the right spot so everybody can go through a line that we don't put things in separate corners of the room where everybody's you know picking up plates in one corner and then crisscrossing and running into each other when we design a community and the way that land use is designed right now we, we pretty much exclusively separate uses and so we create traffic when we do that if you could you know all in five minutes hit your grocery store your gym you know all of these things that are are conveniently located next to your you know where you live there's less traffic but that's not the paradigm that we're living in and so it's really you know there's so many obstacles to mixed use from a land use perspective um, you know the first step and we're, we're already getting started that is we had a comprehensive plan that was 20 years old we have a zoning code that's relatively archaic um, those are huge obstacles because they are the basis, the underlying legal basis of what our built environment looks like and what we're going to get moving forward. And so, you know, I would be attacking those things. You know, single family, we, we still need that, but we've got to think about how do we preserve open space. So say you have a, a track of, of 100 acres, you know, let's preserve the underlying density and cluster all of the single family homes onto a portion of that property and you know permanently reserve the rest of it for preserving sort of the east tennessee landscape the open space that you know makes east tennessee east tennessee it's those sort of tools that you know i don't think we have right now um, in fact i know we don't have them um, and we we've really got to bring our our zoning code back up to the but that makes sense and that's what people want ultimately you know if uh and, and i've lived in a city where it's you know you have your multi-use um and you know where you live upstairs and then downstairs is you know a bodega right yep. speaking about new york um, and, you know, it, it was really pedestrian friendly, too. You could walk to mm -hmm. most things. You didn't even need a car uh, in a lot of cases. And uh, I think there's, there's, you know, that's what a lot of people want to have. Not everybody, of course. I mean, some people want to have, you know, the house in the backyard where, mm -hmm. you know, the, the dog can roam free. But 
uh, we're kind of missing that uh, that uh, you know city type uh, metropolitan type of uh, uh, building in Knoxville. Largely because it's illegal to build. I mean, you think about some of the most desirable neighborhoods in Knoxville are good examples of. So you know, take Sequoia Hills. It's got multifamily. It's got single family. It's got retail. It's got commercial. It, we could never recreate that under the existing code today. Um, and, you know, part of that is, you know, that was built when there was far fewer zoning regulations. And I will argue that we do need zoning regulations and land use regulations. They're, they serve a meaningful purpose. But when we, you know, make them too onerous, we, we start to, you know, go away from what they were intended to do, which was minimal health and safety protections and, and what a lot of people are afraid of is sort of letting go of control but ultimately some of the most incredible you know spaces in East Tennessee you know were built when there was far less control than there is today so deregulation could really help this market when it comes to zoning yeah deregulation in the sense that you know we have to let you know developers have no incentive to produce poor product obviously we need to have some basic um, you know standards we, we need to be smart about how we do it but we also have to realize what the incentives are and you know developers don't have an incentive to build a poor product and you know but then surrounding neighbors we have to look at this as a system-wide problem you know all the things that we're talking about yeah that's what people want but they don't want it when it's you know right next door to them because there's a lot of uncertainty and I will argue you know a lot of times they'll say well if you build apartments next to my house my property value is going to go down that's that's not necessarily the case though no it's not the case at all and in fact you know more often than not your property value goes up because more um, commerce is brought into the area there's more restaurants there's more shopping opportunities there's just uh there's more infrastructure brought into the area I, am i right in saying that uh, yeah i mean and just in general densities associated with higher you know per square foot property values it's it's really always been the case i mean there's there's very few instances where it's not been the case so you know, a lot of these reasons that people will oppose new housing are, are sort of based on myths that, you know, these things are true um, or that someone, you know, wants to think is true and might sound logical, um, you know, if you're but just... But the data just doesn't back it up in, in most cases. Yeah, it might be. It's, it's, sometimes it's counterintuitive, but in fact, the data shows that, you know, no, that's that's not necessarily the case. So... So what what would it take, or or how far are we from getting some of these changes to zoning regulation that really opens up, you know, the development, the good kind of development that you're talking about? Uh, we're we're pretty far away from a political standpoint. I think we know, um, you know, generally what we need to do with our zoning code. It's how do we build the political support to make it happen. Now you're a bipartisan bipartisan guy. Yeah, I mean, I think housing is is completely a, a, I mean, I think your national political orientation is worthless when it comes to if you were, you know, had to make a decision about land use. It, it doesn't matter. Do you see this as a partisan divide? No, I mean, I don't think so at all. And so, you know, you have some places in surrounding counties, you have conservatives saying, 
we need more regulation. We want to stop development. Um, and then, you know, you have progressives in, in certain places saying, you know, support community groups, fight back against developers, let's stop. But then you also have conservatives who are saying, support developers, we need housing, it's an economic imperative, which it is. And then you have other, you know, more progressive-like people in, in other places who are saying, let's abolish single-family zoning. Yes, in my backyard, this is the key to affordability, which is true. So it's really this, this cross-pollination between parties where there is no clear stance on land use. And, it, you know, in, in many ways that makes it a, an easier issue, but it also makes it harder because it, it forces you to get out of the, you know, easy partisan, you know, I've been a Republican all my life, so I'm just going to support this. There is no clear, um, you know. Right, because you have both sides of the aisle supporting each other in certain ways and then against each other in certain ways. Yeah, even locally you've seen sort of Democrats and Republicans supporting each other on particular land use oriented issues um, and you've seen them oppose each other. So it's it's a really fascinating issue but it does create challenges because it forces you to actually think about the policy rather than the politics. You know, there is no standard Republican land use policy or standard democratic land use policy it's it's all you know hyper local and in you know ultimately not a political issue it's it, it is a political issue but it's not an ideological one and that's where it, it does make it challenging right it sounds it sounds incredibly challenging <laughs> yeah it I, mean, is. I, I, I definitely think you have a, a very challenging position there at car hansen yeah, well, you're walking a tightrope of how do we get what we want and please the most people. And, and, you know, sometimes when you're doing that, you end up making a lot of people, you know, not get exactly what they want, which is, is not exactly. But, but that's democracy. That's the democratic process. That's how we've set it up that, you know, we're, we're a, a pluralistic society trying to get to one answer through um, the democratic process. And so that's how it works. And we need more people at the local level. Um, you know, I think the voices right now who are, you know, not saying we want to oppose housing, but are supporting policies that in effect, you know, really limit how much housing we build, those voices dominate the local political conversation. They're the people showing up to planning commission meetings and county and city council meetings. It's not the people who are saying we want more housing. And so, you know, essentially a small group, in my opinion, a minority of people are driving the decision. Whoever has the loudest microphone. Yeah, they are driving the decision making of, of our local government bodies by and large. And it's shown in that we've underproduced housing. I think our estimate from our recent state of housing report was that Knox County is, is about 17,000 housing units short of what it should have built because of the, the post OA environment. That's a pretty big number. And that's that's why we're seeing the price increases and the housing shortages that we are now. And on the mortgage side, you know, obviously we're in the mortgage business, um, it's become really, really difficult for people to go under contract. They're having to make seven, eight, nine offers to get accepted. So what you're saying is part of what we're feeling, what these buyers are feeling out there when they're going to try to make an offer on something has to do with these policies that have been around for, you know, 20 odd years. And really, this is just a matter of we need to update this 
to develop properly for for the growth of this community. Yeah, well, we live in a society that is, you know, very instant gratification driven, and that's not how this works. This is a system that has created a product over a course of, you know, many, many, many years, and, you know, we can update our land use and comprehensive plan and, and our policies tomorrow and still not see a result for a number of years, but that shouldn't, you know, preclude us from doing it because ultimately it's a long run decision but you know from our, our from a cultural perspective and from a political perspective we all want you know to be we want instant gratification we want to do it and it be done tomorrow um, and you know that's not how it works we have to keep this long-term vision of you know do we really want to see more investment in Knoxville do we want to see new restaurants and new innovation well we have to be able to house a workforce um, we saw during the pandemic how important essential workers are. You know, many of those very people are the ones being priced out of this market. And so when you talk about care... And then we get workforce shortages, yeah. not enough workers. Yeah, and when you, you we talk about caring, we, we realize that these people play a really important role in our daily life. You know, we, we realized that in the pandemic and we celebrated essential workers well you know we have to let's keep our word and and support them through housing so you know they can live in the the place that they are serving and in the community in which they're working and when you're talking about affordable housing we're not necessarily saying um subsidized housing we're just saying and of course that could be a part of the equation too we're just saying more houses at an affordable price that you know, our workforce can actually afford to live in so they can be a part of this community. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So, I mean, I do think there's a place for subsidized housing. We need it in certain places, but we also have to create this ladder. So, you know, we want to be a place where, you know, economic mobility is high, where, you know, you're better off than your parents. And, um, you know, the biggest gap right now is if you're living in subsidized housing and start, you know, getting your feet underneath you and, and making enough to, you know, buy that entry-level home, that entry-level home isn't available right now. And so we've, we've created this gap, particularly at the lower end of the market rate, right. um, you know, environment where there's just nothing. And it, it, is, it is hurting economic mobility in the sense that, you know, where is that next step up, that incremental next step up? We don't have it right now. Right. And that entails just, you know, yes, building more lower market rate, but any sort of housing is important because it's a chain reaction. It's um, I'm not a huge trickle-down person, but in this case, it does trickle down. You know, even expensive housing, you know, somebody's moving up to expensive, more expensive housing. And, it's and then they're, they're selling the lesser expensive home for someone else that is trying to move up to that level. Yeah, which is is still a, a you know good financial investment like nobody reaps the rewards and leaves something, you know, poor behind that's not going to continue to appreciate. It it's still important and so it's it's a fundamentally unique sort of economic market the being the housing market um, that, you know, I don't think a lot of people understand well, which is fair enough. Well, it's very complicated. It is. Especially after I talk to you. I think I have it all figured out, and then I have a conversation with you, and it's it's always a much more broad 
um, a spectrum of one thing affecting another that most people just don't even take into consideration when they, they think about housing. Yeah, it, it touches every piece of our local economy and every piece of our regional economy. And if we don't have it, um, you know, there's some really, really tremendously bad consequences to not having it. Um, but the process of getting it is very challenging and it requires thinking at a systematic level rather than you know a individual level you know one particular property doesn't solve the problem one rezoning doesn't solve the problem but you know if every rezoning or you know a significant number of them are getting the same result it creates a systematic problem right um, that we have been you know thus far unable to solve and and you know to our own detriment well um here the the team at foundation mortgage in our sphere of influence we uh uh, definitely want to be um, uh, a voice in this change to update our our zoning and uh, in our community and just be more dynamic with what is uh, really needed to to evolve this community in this area overall. Uh, so and we're really uh, we're, we're happy to have you here on the podcast and and uh, uh, really excited to see what you got coming up in the next you know number of years. I think you're you really got to. Uh, finger on the pulse of what's needed in this area and uh, uh, I'm excited to see what 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 comes out of it I'm expecting you to have all the answers and solve all these problems next time we meet well yeah I, I, I'll hold off on that part <laughs> <laughs> well guys thanks uh, again for joining us on the foundation mortgage fod, uh, podcast and uh, again Hanson sale here super excited to uh, have him uh, on the show and uh, we'll look to see you again soon Don't hit X. Hey, we have a huge favor to ask. If you like this episode and it found to be valuable in your home buying process, do us a favor. Go give us a five-star review and a comment on Apple Podcast. It would really mean a lot to us. If you think this would be helpful to your family and your friends, share it on your Facebook. Share it on your Instagram. Thanks so much for giving us your time today. We'll talk to you soon.